0: On this aircheck Check episode, we continue our conversation with Jimmy Fink. This is part two of a four-part series with Jimmy Fink. Jimmy takes us back to those formative years of his radio
1: career and how his contemporaries welcomed him. The story of the WPLJ call letters, those legendary PLJ DJs he was fortunate to work with, and the PLJ format change in the early 80s. His conversation with Graham Nash and his elevator encounter with John
2: Lennon and Yoko Ono. Here we go. <laughs> Welcome to Air Check, Season 4, a podcast about radio's personality. From radio personalities, managers, consultants, owners, and your most humble hosts. From Philadelphia, Rich DeSisto and Paul Kelly.
0: I'm Rich DeSisto. And I'm Paul Kelly. Legendary radio personality Jimmy Fink has rocked the big Apple radio dial for decades. You can currently hear him on 107.1 The Peak in Westchester, New York, where he does Afternoon Drive. On our previous episode, Part 1 of 4, Jimmy flashed back to those moments when he was hired at the beginning of two legendary New York City radio stations. FM, which became
3: W-P-L-J. He started quizzing me all about music and what did I know about music and why did I want to hear the songs I requested. I went down to the station to meet him. I never actually made a tape, but the following Saturday, which was July 12th, 1970, he put me on the air. And the new 92.3 K-Rock. Some of the best times in radio are when you join a station right from the beginning. You're not just a hire of a station that's been around a long time. You're there right from the beginning and it's just it's so exciting. And
0: his greatest moments with musicians including Robin Gibb of the Bee Gees and Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin.
3: Robert Plant I've met a few times. My first impression of him was that he's really tall. I'm tall. I'm six foot one, and I think he might be taller than me. Please welcome again to AirCheck, Jimmy Fink.
1: So you're there for two launches that that we're talking about so far the launch of uh k-rock in 1985 and the launch of uh wabc fm that, yeah. that had to be pretty exciting
3: well it was exciting but it was, uh, also i can show i can see see the uh the dichotomy of the different people who worked there for example my lifelong friend or since that time anyway tony pig who's still my friend was always warm and welcoming to me. And I learned so much from him. On the other hand, Dave Herman, who also worked there, was like viewing me as... He's a college kid who just all of a sudden landed a job in New York. Meanwhile, I worked at nine radio stations, you know, all across the country in Podunk, Nebraska or whatever, for years and sort of looked down on me a little bit and poo-pooed the fact that I was there and didn't pay my dues, so, so to speak, in radio before I got there. But the reason why I was there, and I have to say the reason why I'm still in radio. Is because of the music because I'm into music. That's it. I'm certainly not in it for the money anymore because <laughs> I work for this small station in the suburbs of New York and I'm not, uh, making anywhere near what Howard Stern is making or, uh, what you know scott shannon might uh might, might have made in his career and certainly not making what i was making when i was working in the big new york city radio stations but i'm still in it for the music
0: uh call letters of a radio station end up being acronyms they they stand for something uh and mm-hmm. when wabc fm was looking for the change call letters for uh, the future, the present, and the future. Uh, WPLJ was what they settled on, and the story goes, if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, a reference to a song on the Mothers of Invention album, "Burnt Weenie Sandwich," <laughs> "White mm. Port and Lemon Juice." Is that uh, is that where we're going with this, or is well, that an urban pretty legend? Pretty much, yeah.
3: The Mothers of Invention's version of WPLJ, "White Port and Lemon Juice," was a cover. It's a cover song. It was originally done by the Four Deuces probably in the 1950s, early 60s. I'm not exactly sure when the Four Deuces version of the song came out, but it might have been Dave Herman. I know he took credit for (laughs) suggesting those as the call letters. Dave seemed to take credit for a lot of stuff. But uh, I had heard later that really WPLJ was meant to be the call letters, letters in one of the other ABC owned stations and wound up being at PLJ sort of uh, at PLJ in New York, sort of by mistake, where one of the other stations grabbed some other call letters instead, and they still had WPLJ, you know, in their minds and turned it into the WPLJ that took over WABC-FM. You talked a little bit about the legendary
0: lineup at Rock and many had come over to Rock from WPLJ, and you mentioned a few already, but talk a little bit about your co-workers there at PLJ and the experiences
3: you had during your time there. Well, one of the things about PLJ and WABC FM is we were at the beginning, you know, before a format came in and we turned into New York's best rock. We were all free form, and some of the disc jockeys were a little out there. There was one disc jockey's name was Mike Turner, and he was. Um, I, I loved all these people. I, I, I mean, I know I said some things about Dave Herman, but I, I mean, Dave and I were friends also. And it, it wasn't always an adversarial relationship, but uh, this guy Mike Turner, he was friends with. A lot of Hell's Angels and Alex Bennett was uh, part of the radio station at the time, too. Mike had Hell's Angels hanging up at the station all the time. And, you know, we had tapestries on the walls. It was a real hippie thing going on there at the old PLJ and WABC FM. And I remember one time Elton Rule, who was the president of the entire ABC Corporation, was coming to visit. And they made us take down all the tapestries. They painted the walls. (laughs) You know, they did all that just because he was doing a walkthrough. One day, because I did these fill-in shows, very often I was there for the Alex Bennett show, which was an overnight talk show. I used to just hang out after I... uh, Finish my shift, and that—that that was another opportunity where I got to meet a lot of people, including John Lennon. Who was probably the most thrilling person that
4: came up to Alex's show. My guests are John Lennon and Yoko Ono, and this is WPLJ in New York, which is ninety-five point five FM stereo. Well, the common—I guess—the most common question would be asked you is, how do you feel about the, the the splitting up of? I think it was a very healthy thing, like a, a, an almost an amicable divorce. An amicable. It hasn't been that violent, you know. Court cases don't really involve, uh, you know, us personally. It's usually lawyers sort of bickering in studios, or oh, not in studios, in courts. Have you right. ever been together as, as the four people in recent times outside of court?
5: No, we haven't. Uh, the four, of,
4: uh, Even before the court thing, I mean, there was seldom when four of us would be together. It was usually two or three at the same time. Uh, I mean, I think Ringo saw Paul at Mick's wedding uh-huh. just for a couple of you know half a day or something but i've spent a long time with george and ringo that's
3: for sure a couple of times at plj that that i met john and actually when when uh, he came up to alex's show alex said john john and Yoker downstairs could you go down and get him so this is another situation where i met people by the elevator wow (laughs) so i went down to the ground floor and i noticed that john had we had security down there and john signed in in the uh you know, the security log. But he signed in as Eric Siegel, you know, who's the writer of Love Story, because he and he and Yoko had this love story going on. So when he signed the book, he didn't sign John Lennon, he signed Eric Siegel. And then rode up the elevator with me, asked me for gum, got me gum, he said, and, <laughs> you know, and God, I thought to myself, Jesus, man, John Lennon it's like asking me for gum. He's given me like so much <laughs> in my life. And all he wants from me is a piece of gum and I don't have it. <laughs> and I, he says, well, I thought all Americans chewed gum. <laughs> and then I brought him into the studio. And then there was another time when I was there for uh, Alex's show and John was having uh when john lennon was there and john was having these immigration problems and um i guess maybe somebody wanted to serve him with some kind of subpoena but never could find where he was but when he was on the air with alex bennett they knew hey he's at the abc building there 1330 avenue of the americas let's go there so while he's on the air this guy comes in with a subpoena for john and actually serves him with these papers while he's a guest of the alex bennett show and John got really sort of uptight and nervous and didn't know what to do. And he went to the bathroom and
4: and vomited. Let's go to the phones, because there are a lot of people out there that want to ask you some questions and they'll probably ask better ones than I've been asking. This Boy, you guys, you really are belching this yeah. morning, man. Yeah, okay, well. It could I be that Pat Boone hard. button you're wearing. I feel like throwing up. Go ahead. Like, Would well, you want to carry on? No, i just I'll throw it. up. Yeah, yeah, up. Yeah, okay, right. you have a question for Yoko? <laughs> Hello? Yeah. Yeah, I'm on. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're feeling better, John? Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Is that the way you start your morning every morning? Just uh, throw up and then the start the day?
2: Right. Uh, <laughs> the summons did it? How did you like, you know, receiving summons mm-hmm. early in the morning? I, I like think it. I got
4: up, smoked too many cigarettes and drank too much tea. Uh, well, they stomach. were very
2: clever to catch us here. Well, I don't so, know
4: why they didn't just send you to the office. I would have received it. And
3: then the next day when I uh, came to work and I went to the bathroom, there was a sign on one of the stalls and it said, John Lennon threw up here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, it was fantastic.
0: Well, Jimmy, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention something that perhaps maybe you were a part of in my history as a listener to WPLJ. I'm originally from Yonkers, so Westchester. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We we moved out uh, to Jersey uh, in the mid-70s, but still had a lot of family in the area and would, would come back. And I would spend weekends at my grandparents' house. But I remember my first experience with rock radio was listening to WPLJ. And the very first rock song that I remember hearing was Renegade. By sticks, and I think it was the spring of '78. <laughs> Perhaps, maybe you played it.
3: <laughs> yeah, actually, I think one of the air checks that I sent you might have had like somebody introducing sticks or the song "Renegade." I, you know. I, I don't remember if it was me or or maybe it was Carol Miller or something. This is Zach on WPLJ.
4: All that super music came to you from WPLJ. And this is Tony Pig. Right here at WPLJ at 7 o'clock in the morning. I'm Jimmy Fink. I'm David Fontino. WPLJ.
2: I'm Shelley Sunstein. WPLJ News. The
4: Pat St. John Show from WPLJ.
2: This is Carol
5: Miller, WPLJ. The music is from Stick.
3: WPLJ. There's, there's so, so many different genres of music that I really like. And, you know, a lot of the music purists weren't really big fans of Sticks, but to me, they were just like another corporate. I even like Mr. Roboto for God's sakes. That's <laughs> two of us, yeah, three, yeah, <laughs> that's three of us. That song Renegade, <laughs> man, is just fantastic. That has a great guitar thing in it and a fantastic organ. Uh, it's just it's a great, great song. So yeah, you know, I'm glad I'm glad that was your first experience in rock radio, because, yeah,
0: because prior to that, yeah. I was falling asleep listening to Phil Rizzuto and Bill White on
3: WABC, watching listening to the Yankee games. And if you happen to tune in and heard Delta Dawn, maybe that wouldn't have been like the greatest thing in the world. I want to
1: unhit the pause button and uh, hear about this bakery that I, I understand goes back to like the 1800s with your family. Yeah,
3: my great-grandfather started Fink Bakery in 1888, and uh, it used to be just a corner bake shop in uh, Yorkville section of Manhattan, a German town because they were all immigrants. In the 1920s, my grandfather turned it into, rather than just a small retail corner shop, turned it into a wholesale company that would deliver bread to hospitals, hotels, schools, restaurants all over New York. And the only remnant of uh, a corner bakery that we had was people who would just walk into the factory. It turned into be a bread factory. It was uh, 76th Street between York Avenue and the river, 76th and York. And then in the 1960s, we built a big bread factory, 300,000 square feet in um, uh, Long Island City, Queens. We were the largest family-owned wholesale bakery in uh, the New York metropolitan area, which is great, but also had its downfall because having a big factory with uh, 100 trucks delivering, spidering out, venturing out from New York City turned out to be a very expensive proposition in the late 1990s when a lot of out of town bakers would start bringing in cheap bread from even as far away as Canada. Uh, Here in New York City, we had the New York City taxes and the cost of uh, New York City uh, utilities. And also, we were a union shop. So we had two unions. The team, and the uh, the bakers union. And we wound up like paying $25 uh, an hour to a guy who just put bread in a box. So by the time 2000 came around, we were hurting. So uh, we sold the company and the person we sold it to only lasted about 18 months until he finally actually went out of business. Wow. Um, I'm
1: picturing something that looks like uh, the bakery in Moonstruck with Nicolas Cage down in the basement <laughs> uh, with, with the long wooden uh, spatula pulling loaves in and out of the oven yeah that no no kind of place
3: no I, I wouldn't say it was like that the the oven was probably like a half a block long it was a big you know <laughs> a big machine that with conveyor belts and uh, racks and things going over your head and it was it's a bread factory i still miss the uh you know the, the smell of it all our follow-up
1: episode is going to be cooking with jimmy fink yeah there we go start I also, with bread that's it's <laughs> funny you
3: should say that because a lot of times when i interviewed these stars uh these rock stars i came up with an idea uh, of a show called cooking with the stars and i would ask them <laughs> you know well what do you like to cook and tell tell us how to do that and i have some great recipes from todd Rundgren <laughs> and, and, a, and a bunch of other people like the heart girls and and nancy wilson uh they all came up with some recipes for my show that never made it anywhere <laughs> cooking with the Stars.
2: You're listening to season four of Aircheck, a podcast about radio's personality from Radio Personalities. Rich and Paul have lined up another roster of guests just as compelling as seasons one, two, and three. Aircheck season one includes conversations with Eddie Trunk, Danny Bonaducci, Nina Blackwood, and more. Aircheck, available now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also tell your smart speaker to play Aircheck podcast.
1: Well, you've met many, many over the years through your career. You know who were good interviews, polite on air and off mic. And uh, this is a guy that, that I also had a chance to interview a couple of different times. I know he, he was great on mic and off mic. Uh, you've interviewed him many times. Tell us about your experiences with Graham Nash.
3: Graham uh, and, and I uh, really had our closest Uh, encounters when he did a benefit show up here in Westchester for this organization called Open Door Family Medical Centers. And over the years, we've brought in many really top drawer stars, including uh, Graham Nash and B-52s and Elvis Costello and several others to do benefit Concerts at the Performing Arts Center of Purchase College. Graham was just very, very open and also talkative and friendly. He's a great photographer. He's written just some fantastic songs, and I think you have a little clip of him talking about the photo shoot for the cover of the Crosby, Stills, and Nash album.
5: Yeah, well, we, try, you know, we were a funky band. You know, we had no pretenses. I mean, each of us had been in a hit band already for years. You know, between the Birds and the Springfield and, and the Hollies, so it wasn't new to us all this. You know, and, and uh, we wanted to make it um, down home. And, you know, we wanted us to appear uh, like we were one of our, our, of our fans, which we are, We're you know, in many cases, very ordinary people. Um, and, and we wanted to make it feel intimate and feel close to the people. And when we found that couch, on uh, you know, in front of that old house, we thought that would be a perfect uh, thing. And then, of course, when we got the negatives back... <clears throat> From, uh, from Kodak or whatever, Henry Diltz, who shot the, co- you know, shot the cover, got his work developed, we realized that we were sitting in the wrong order, because we had decided the day after taking the, uh, the picture to call ourselves Crosby, Stills, and Nash, but in the, only, in the only frame that made sense, we were sitting in the wrong order. So we went back like two days later to, sh- to reshoot it in the right order, building was gone. <laughs> oh, it was just a pile of rubble in the back lot. Like,
0: wow. Jimmy, let's go back to the early 80s in New York City. Uh, Things, again, were changing up and down the radio dial. The music scene, again, dictating formatics. Summer of 1981, MTV became a thing. Then the following summer, a radio station with call letters WAPP came on the air in New York City. In late 1983, another new, new station made its mark, Z100. Talk a little bit about that environment and how it affected the new direction that PLJ eventually took as they moved away from rock.
3: Yeah, well, you know, our program director was Larry Berger, a longtime program director of WPLJ. He's also passed away now, moved out to California and lived in San Francisco after uh, he left PLJ eventually. But he was there for maybe 20 years or so. I I don't know. Larry never thought that we should worry about what other people were doing. He wanted us to do what we do best. That's what he was concerned with. Yeah, WAPP came on with a commercial-free summer, which was Great for them.
2: WAPP is the apple, and the apple is commercial-free. WAPP, FM 103.5, rolling commercial-free, all summer raw. New York's newest FM, on the Summer. 103.5 WAPP.
3: Meanwhile, the station only lasted a couple of years after that. Once they played commercials... <laughs> <laughs> Nobody listened anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And um, just Larry just always wanted us to do what we do best and not react to anything else that's happening in the marketplace. But Larry also, you know, brought in basically based on the format that Rick Sklar had invented over at WABC, the top 40 station. He sort of brought that format and turned it into a format to be used for album rock
2: 1978 will be WPLJ's greatest year of music ever join us for all the excitement found only on WPLJ this is the music you've asked for WPLJ 95.5 FM New York's best rock
3: With the songs being broken down into different categories based on whether they are current, recurrent, meaning for the past uh, sometime in the past year or so, or, oh, and then also broken them down on another subcategory, whether it was a single or an album cut. And then there was another category called X, which was just like Spice, you know, uh, maybe not a hit whatever. And then, you know, the combination of coming up with a formula for when to play and how often to play the current songs mixed in with the older songs, there was your AOR format, New York's best rock. Although WNEW FM sort of had the aura of being free form, they sort of had a format also. It might not have been as constrained as PLJ's was, but it worked. It worked for both stations.
4: Welcome to the place where rock lives, 1027 WNEW-FM. This is no bungalow, it's a rock and roll mansion, the home of rock and roll, WNEW-FM. The excitement is all courtesy of the hottest rock personalities in radio, live concerts, 18-song music marathons, and rock and roll variety galore. Move to where rock lives, New York's first choice for rock and roll, 1027 WNEW-FM.
3: I, I can't say, you know, that there was any one thing. I think it was the way music changed that eventually led PLJ to change and go more in the pop vein after being an album rock station for 13 years.
4: But it did. Time for a special edition of Let's Hear It with our program director, Larry Berger.
5: We, uh, we did make some fairly substantial changes in our music policy uh, on, on the last day of June and uh, we did it with a lot of uh, forethought and we really uh, uh, found that uh, many people liked it and many people didn't like it when we changed our format there was a music
3: there was a meeting really of all the air staff and I remember Jim Kerr was there and said, this is how we describe the format change, let's to put it bluntly. He held up a piece of paper and he tore off a little piece of it and he held up the big piece and said, this is what we used to play and threw it away and held up the little piece and said, <laughs> this is what we play now. So that's how the for- format changes happen. And... um I always tell people, a radio station is not your friend. We we want to be your friend. We want to be friendly, but we are not a person. And if one day the people who own the radio station think that they can make more money doing something else, one day your friendly rock radio station, you may turn it on in the morning and it'll be a Spanish talk station. And don't think of it as your friend who turned its back on you. It's a business. Well, it's true, radio
0: stations are not your friend, but like it or not, those personalities behind the mic, like Jimmy, certainly are. And radio needs to reinvest in that notion. Looking forward to more from Jimmy in our next episode. Yeah, it's another four-part series. On part three of four, we find out what happened in 1996 when K-Rock's format changed, what Jimmy hates the most about being on the air. Jimmy also shares with us his interview with Mick Jones of Farner and his and his daughter's encounter with Sir Paul McCartney. Remember, you can follow us, stream and
1: download every episode of Aircheck on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also tell your smart speaker to play Aircheck podcast. If you haven't done so, give us a great rating. We'd also love to hear from you on our Facebook page, Aircheck Me.
2: This is Rich Desisto, and I'm Paul Kelly. We'll talk to you soon. Closing out another episode of AirCheck, a podcast about radio's personality from radio personalities. If you have radio stories to share, we'd love to hear from you. Join the AirCheck guest list. Email aircheckme at gmail.com. Musical props are Chris Gordon's. Announcer props, I'll take those. Greg O'Brien, the OB. AirCheck is available now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also tell your smart speaker to play AirCheck Podcast. AirTech is the creation of RDPK Productions.